Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Uh, let's keep our Bibles open to that passage. I'd like to be able to point out a few things to you this morning. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name is Mark. I get the privilege of being one of the ministers, and we're grateful that you're worshiping God, first of all, and that we're privileged that you'd worship Him with us. And we just invite you to participate this morning, especially as we talk about Advent. Uh, we're in a four week series where we're looking at the things that we receive, gifts from God, that come in the form of Jesus, and how that relates to who we are and what we become. Uh, so far in our series, we have uh, looked at hope. Uh, What we learned about hope was that hope challenges our faith, that God is greater than we ever thought, our sin is deeper than we ever want to discuss, and God's love is shown most prominently through this gift. You see, when we look at the coming of Jesus, the most important thing I want to say to you this morning is do not think for a moment that without the virgin birth of Jesus, you can have the gospel. It's so, it's so easy for us to make this sentimental and dismiss the Christmas story as just a neat, cute moment that God gave us, but it's not as significant as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But I want to suggest to you that without this peace, without the awareness that God had to supernaturally enter our world because of sin and destruction, that we could not have the crucifixion or the resurrection or the hope that comes with it. See, God's love is so much more intense than we ever knew we needed, but it's displayed in the way that he gave us Jesus. Then last week, Elijah Daly did a great job with a message on peace that challenges our expectations. And uh, Elijah told us that peace is possible, but peace is problematic if we don't give ourselves to it. If we don't live within the peace that Jesus brings us, that the possibility of peace doesn't mean anything. It's problematic if we don't use it. And then he told us very clearly that peace is Jesus. It's not something we fabricate. Peace is what we receive when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And he brings us a peace that cannot be taken from us, and, it can, and it's hard to explain. Uh, it's even referred to as a peace that passes all understanding. But we know when it's present, and that's the gift that God gave us, is the presence of peace. Today I want to talk to you about joy, and I want to just simply define as joy is the thing that remains when happiness runs out the door. Joy is so much different than happiness. When happiness leaves because of circumstances, joy stays and strengthens us. And it's one of the gifts that we receive in the way that Jesus came. And so to ask the question that was just read uh, over us in Luke chapter 2 is, have you thought much about who God chose to give the message that Jesus was here? Have you thought much about why God chose who he chose and what that might teach us? Because this morning I want to focus on three, or two rather, very simple things. The first is this. There is something very specific about this gift. And how we discover the the specific nature of this gift is in who God gave this message to, that Jesus was here. You see, there's only one public announcement of Christ's birth. There's only one moment the words were spoken that he is here, go and see him. That invitation to go and see him was offered to a very specific group of people. And it's not who we would have imagined. In fact, it's very contrary to what I would have chosen. And yet I can learn so much about God and I can learn a whole lot about what God is doing by paying attention to who he gave this public announcement to. Now you may contest this and say, well, the wise men were told by the stars, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when God sent the angels to declare to a specific group, who did he choose? Well, he chose a bunch of shepherds. It's a very personal choice. 
and one that I want us to be able to celebrate when we're done here. We talked about it two weeks ago in the beginning in our message on hope that gifts tell you something about the person giving them, <clears throat> excuse me, and about what they want you to have and why they're giving it to you. And we can learn the same things this morning when we talk about joy. Elijah mentioned it last week. Shepherds are not elite people in society. They would not have been considered the best of the best. It would have been actually a poor choice. If you wanted society to be impacted by this announcement, you probably wouldn't have chosen uh, shepherds. But God wants to make this gift real personal, and so he does it in a unique way. You see, David was a shepherd, and we celebrate David. And and Jesus calls himself the great shepherd. And and if you go to a Christian bookstore, I'm not making fun of it, but if you go to a Christian bookstore, you can see the bias of our culture because Jesus is sitting there, right? And, And the garments that he wears are white with a blue sash. Have you been around animals? You wouldn't tend to sheep in white, am I right? And so our depiction of Jesus is so sterilized from the reality of what shepherds were and what they did that it's amazing that he would have told them first. You see, if you do your historical research, you're going to learn some fascinating things. 2,000 years ago, rabbis told good Jewish people that there were six professions they should not hold. One of them was a shepherd. Kind of fascinating. We have King David. Well, he was a shepherd boy, yeah, but he was a boy, and boys did jobs that men didn't want to do. Interesting. You see, Pharisees would never consider doing business with a shepherd. They would receive the, the meat or they would receive the wool or the milk of the, of the different uh, kinds of animals, but they would never buy them directly from the shepherds. They would go through a middleman so that their hands were unstained. Shepherds could not give testimony in court. I'll explain why in a moment. Shepherds were not allowed to enter places of worship. Why? Well, there were good reasons. First of all, shepherds were constantly among the droppings and the diseases and the filth of the animals. So they were never ceremonially clean to be able to go in to these places. Secondly, they herded their, their sheep without paying attention to property lines. Now, I know this doesn't mean as much to us in America, but please understand when you read the Old Testament, if you don't understand how sacred property lines were and how land meant something, because on the land, you couldn't go to the Walmart. You had to go on your land and you raised your own crops and your own animals and your family lived on that land and gained its strength from that land. So for shepherds to allow their flocks to go in and out of different people's property was That was a horrible thing to do in culture, and it showed their nature. They weren't rule keepers. They didn't care about society. They just did what they needed to do to survive. They were considered thieves. I'm told in one piece of research that historically, the shepherds were the ones who ran the black market. So shepherds were despised. One rabbi is quoted as saying, they already have one foot in hell. Nice. And then silly God decides of all the people in the world that he's gonna announce My son is here. He does it to a bunch of shepherds. He sends the greatest choir to ever be formed to sing the song that the gospel is here, and he sings it to a bunch of people who have no place in society, people who are despised. There's something about seeing a gift that says something to the person receiving it, and it says something by the person. Now, I'm going to tell you an old, old story. If you're anywhere under 30, you're going to have to trust me that I'm not lying, okay? Back in the early 70s, or mid-70s rather, I don't know how old I was, but my dad did a cool thing. He, he gave me a list of the Christmas presents. It was my year to finally buy my own presents. And so my dad took me to a Kmart, don't judge, 
He took me to a Kmart. If you don't even know what that is, they used to exist. Anyway, he took me there. I had seven gifts to buy. My dad gave me the whopping total of $35. I had $5. This is an old story. Did I tell you that? I had $5 per person to buy these gifts. And then my dad did something that would land him in jail today. He dropped me off at the Kmart and left. So by myself, with $35, here I was, probably fourth or fifth grade, at a Kmart shopping presents. And I I got to buy for my grandmother. I love my grandma. And I went and found matching, and I don't, ladies, I'm already taken, so I've got to tell you that in advance. (laughs) I found oven mitts that matched the color of her kitchen, which in everybody had avocado kitchens in the 70s, right? And I bought her matching avocado oven mitts. And I did it all for under $5. Yes, I was amazing. And I wrapped those presents up and gave them to my grandmother. And my grandmother opened her oven mitts on Christmas morning and cried. Oh, look at you all. Sentimental. Some people are like, what? Other people are like, oh, he has a soul. She cried. Why? Because she needed oven mitts. She didn't need oven mitts. I found out she had a drawer of oven mitts. She made her own. She did. But she cried because her grandson, whom she loved, loved her. The gift didn't matter. It was that I gave it to her. Yet, when we look at this moment, I want you to understand, why did God give this beautiful gift to these shepherds? Well, it wasn't because they earned it. It wasn't because they deserved it. It's because they needed it. This is what I want you to understand about Advent. Advent is not just rehearsing a neat thing. Advent should awaken each one of us to the fact that we needed this neat thing and we had no clue. Until he came, we didn't know what we needed. When he came, it was like, that fits perfectly. That's exactly what I needed. And so in this moment when Rome didn't think they needed him because they had all the power, the Jews didn't think they needed him because it wasn't the kind of king they wanted. Who did God speak to first? A group of people who were lonely, ostracized, and judged. Sounds like us. He he sent the perfect gift. If I can explain it in very simple terms, these were night shift workers in a day shift world. They didn't have community. They didn't have closeness. They worked when everybody else was home sleeping. They were lonely. They were isolated. They were bored. They lived in a very dangerous environment at night with prowling animals coming in to take from them what was theirs. This was not a job you would have chosen for yourself. Makes me think that if King David truly was a shepherd, and he was, but if he truly was a shepherd, no wonder he wrote so many songs. No no wonder why he was such a great musician, because he was out by himself so often with no community and just himself. Step back for a moment. Do you see what I see? Why would God choose shepherds? Why would he announce he has come to a group of people who didn't even regularly worship him? I would have gone to the political leaders, I would have walked right into Caesar's room and said, slide over, pal, the real king's here. I would have gone to the military leaders or the religious leaders. I would have told the Sanhedrin, the 70-member Supreme Court of Israel, I would have walked into the Sanhedrin and said, take a hike. You've blown it, you're out. I would have gone to the wealthy merchants or the military people. I would have gone to what we call today the influencers. And I'd have dropped that piece of knowledge on them and watched them recoil. Good thing I'm not your God. God went to a bunch of people like you and me, to a group of despised outcasts. It sure sounds like the Old Testament, too, if you pay attention. 
In a, in a world today where we disconnect what the Old Testament taught as if it didn't matter anymore when Jesus came, do you understand that what Jesus came fulfilled what the Old Testament had been talking about all along? Read in the Old Testament. How are we to treat aliens? How are we to treat the downcast? How do we treat the broken? How, do we, uh, are, how are we to treat the people who can't take care of themselves? God didn't leave that for our government. He left it for us. What did Jesus come and do? Exactly what God had asked Israel to do all along. Include everybody. Were these shepherds especially pious and holy? Probably not. I told you about their background. They were breaking laws and they weren't involved in worship very regularly and it's doubtful that, that they had a relationship with God very much. I'm sure they saw the beauty of God, but could they even participate in corporate worship? And the answer was most likely no. But there's something beautiful about them. When the angel told them, Luke tells us they believed and went. I love that. When they heard what God was offering them, they believed that God would offer them that, and then they went and did what he asked them to do. Go and see the Christ child. You see, I wonder when you think about the life of a shepherd, they couldn't sacrifice, they couldn't show up for feast, they couldn't go to corporate worship. I bet deep down inside, they wondered if God even knows who I am, he can't think much of me. So what do we learn by all this? Why am I belaboring this point? It's because I want you to understand that this teaches us that God's love does not discriminate. God doesn't have favorites. He doesn't have a favorite brand of people. He doesn't have a favorite gender of people. He doesn't have a favorite nation of people. He called Israel not to be an exclusive club, <clears throat> excuse me, but to actually be an inclusive grouping of people that loved like nobody else loved and loved everybody. So you think about that. Now there's a book, and I can name the name. Some of you will know where I'm going with this, but the name is so controversial by people who have never read it that they've ruined it. But in this book I actually enjoyed, which was an allegory of Christian faith, there's a, there's a line in it where God is depicted in a certain way, and what he says about an individual person several times is, I'm very fond of that one, and I love that expression. My takeaway from that allegory is that God is. He doesn't have favorites, but he's fond of you. He is so fond of you that if you gave him oven mitts for Christmas, he'd love it because he loves you. He's very fond of each and every one of us in our own distinct way, but he doesn't have favorites. There's not a person in this room he thinks more of than another. There's not a person in this room he thinks less of than another. You see, God is showing us that he does not discriminate, and that produces joy. Joy is what strengthens us when happiness runs out the door. Joy is what gives us hope and peace in the midst of trials and circumstances. Elijah said it so well last week. What good is peace if it's not present to us and in us? When God offers us peace, what good is it if you don't receive it and live in it and trust it? The hope that draws you to the peace is what produces the joy inside of each one of us. I'm gonna choose a very strange passage to go to next at Christmas time, but you got a strange preacher. You're used to it. In 1 Peter, Peter is writing to a group of Christians in the first century of faith who are being persecuted daily. They're seeing loved ones die, being imprisoned, and being tortured. They're living in this moment where you would think there is no happiness, no joy, no peace, and no hope, but there's not. There's hope, there's peace, and there's joy. Let me explain. In 1 Peter 1, 6, in all this you greatly rejoice. That's where we get the word joy. 
Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter teaches us a valuable thing here. He says to his audience, I know that you're going through trials right now. And they probably could have cried out, trials? Are you kidding? The door, someone knocks at the door and we open it. We don't know if we're going to be dragged into punishment. Think about what was happening to them. They were being taken to the Colosseum for professing faith in Jesus and being fed to the lions for a spectator sport. They were being burned at the stake. They were being blamed for every woe that Rome was going through. Nero was hiding from his political opponents and he was using the Christians to create an enemy that all of Rome could turn its hearts toward. They were being tortured in prison and torn apart by animals. And Peter says, I know you're going through some difficult times. I don't think he's being smug. He's trying to give perspective. You see, the gift of Jesus is not for one day in the future. It's for this day today. And when life is hard and life is harsh, when our faith doesn't keep us from suffering, when our belief in God doesn't make everything work out, when sometimes we don't get a break, and not only do we not get a break, sometimes we're flat, taken advantage of, and we wonder where is our God in that moment, Peter is saying to them in this, the midst of this, your faith is sustaining you and will produce joy because God is allowing you to go through difficulties. These difficulties are temporary, they're not forever. Forever will prove that your joy is not unfounded. How can you have joy? How can you uh, praise and glorify and honor Jesus Christ? Well, he says it's like a, a fire testing. When, when you think about it, you think about what God is doing in your life. I, when I was a younger man, I used to say these words. I sincerely said these in sermons. If I could go back in my life and eliminate 30 seconds, not one 30-second piece, but about six five-second pieces of my life where I said something or did something I should not have, I chose to, but I shouldn't have chosen to. It was ungodly and unfair. It was selfish. I used to say if I could have 30 seconds back in my life to just take those moments back and fix those things, I would have a better life, and I was right. Now, at my age, if I had 120 seconds and I could come back, the truth is I'm even underestimating that amount of time. But here's what the flaw in that thinking was when I was younger. I was thinking if I could just get rid of my mistakes, I could turn over a new leaf. What I understood through the gospel now is I don't need a new leaf, I need a new life. That I truly had to die to self to understand what God was going to do with me. Peter says that God puts us in moments where the things we hold on to evaporate, where our security is found unsecure. God puts us in fire like you do with gold. And, and what does gold do for us? Well, it's quite, quite fascinating because when you drop gold into fire, what happens is all the fake, all the false, and all the filthy burns out. And what's left is purity. What God is allowing in the hard, harsh moments of life is not he's not abandoned us, but he's actually putting us in moments where the fake, false, and filthy are evaporated. And the things that we hold on to that we realize don't have any strength and sustenance, they're taken away from us and we still survive. And Peter says, and the good news is, in these temporary moments of hard and harsh, you're already receiving a reward and that reward is a joy inside of you. 
so that when happiness leaves, joy is there. And joy is that even though life is hard and harsh, it's only for a moment. And then it will be fulfilled in all of its perfection through Jesus. The reward is gonna be long-lasting, while the temporary is, praise God, just temporary. The apostle Paul would write to a church very similar to what Peter wrote. Two men who didn't always see eye to eye. They did about Jesus, but about a lot of things, they were odds with each other. In fact, I love Peter one time says, Paul writes a lot of things and it's kind of hard to understand, isn't it? And everybody went, amen. But they love Jesus. And Paul would write these words to a church just like Peter did. He said, this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessings on us forever and ever. Perspective. Joy is what gives us perspective and holds us to it. There's something very specific about the way God gave the gift to the shepherds. Second thing I want to point out is there's something very personal about that gift. It's, it's a beautiful image here. God offers those gifts to those who realize they need it. Now listen, it's not for those who want to add it to a list of things they rely on. God did not give us Jesus as an addendum to our story. God gave us Jesus to rewrite our story from the beginning, to, to create a new chapter with a new life and a new heart, to be able to allow all of our appetites and passions to change by this new heart. I want you to look with me, if you still have your Bibles open to Luke 2, look at verses 10 through 12 with me. I want you to notice something that I see here that I think is beautiful. Now, my English minor is going to break out here, and so I'm going to geek out a little bit, so please give me grace. When you read what's going on in the scriptures, you need to pay attention to pronouns. Who's doing what? Who's it being spoken to and what is being promised? And all of these are found in the direction of where this is presented. Let's read verse 10. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause, cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. These people who didn't have a place, didn't have names, and didn't have respect were told, God has brought you a gift. Not them, you. He's very fond of them, each of them. He's given them, he says, your savior, your king, your Messiah, your gift has been given to you, and it will bring great joy. God is bringing something to us, individually and corporately, and it's beautiful, because when I was looking for where does God find joy, and where does Jesus find joy, and where does the Holy Spirit find joy in Scripture, I learned something huge for me. God's joy is found in relationships. Jesus' joy is found in relationships. The Holy Spirit's joy is found in relationships. Where might you think we should find our joy? in relationships. Let me explain. When I look through the Bible, I find passages that said God has joy. Do you know where God has joy? According to Psalm 104, God finds it in his, all of his creation. His relationship with the stars, with the waters, with the animals, with the birds, with everything. God finds joy in that his creation will be made right and fulfilled. The reason he gave us the gift of creation was to enjoy him. God also finds joy in Isaiah 65 in his redeemed people. And what I love about this is not only does God find joy with his redeemed people, Isaiah says we are his joy. That he's so fond of you that you bring him joy. 
And then I looked at what Jesus found joy in, and I looked at John chapter 14 through 17. When you read that, Jesus says, this is my joy. And what's his joy? Being able to bridge the gap by his life between us and the Father who we have been separated from. You see, not only does God find joy in our relationship, but Jesus finds joy in making sure that that relationship between a loving father and a loving daughter or a loving son is pure and made right, no longer divided. And the Holy Spirit finds joy when there's unity in the church, when we are all worshiping the Father and Son together with the pure purpose of not our differences, but what we have in Christ. So where do you and I find our joy? We find it in our relationship with God the Father, who has chosen to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We find joy in our relationship with the Son, who sanctifies us daily by his blood and justifies us before the Father. We find joy in a relationship with the Holy Spirit who teaches us how to bring God's glory to people's minds. That word glory is sometimes the greatness of God. We get the privilege of telling people about a loving Father, a great God, a kind God in a world that's divided and broken and people are looking for kindness anywhere they can find it. Our joy is found in our relationships. And the gospel offers us this. The gospel offers me a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus told a tiny little parable, so packed full of truth. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought the field. Sometimes we can stretch a parable so thin we break it. But I love the fact in his parable that when we find out how valuable the gospel is, we will get rid of everything in our life and pursue it with everything we have. Why? Because we have joy. Joy is what strengthens us when happiness bolts out of the room. And joy is what we find when we find the gospel, a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. I'd like to close this morning with 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 26, it's Paul is writing to a church that didn't have the relationship with God aligned, aligned. And so Paul writes this whole letter talking about how the cross brings everyone back in relationship to God. Relationships are where we'll find our joy. And in this, Paul is writing, reminding them of what they were before they received the gift. And I would like you this morning, if you can, focus your attention on what's being written as if it were being written to you and me people that God is very fond of and who is offering us joy in relationship with him, with his son and with his spirit. Listen to these words to you. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I think it's more than significant why God gave the first public pronouncement to a group of outsiders so that outsiders like you and me could become a part of his family. Adopted, sons and daughters, blessed, chosen, known, and loved. All of this. 
When I was a kid at church camp a lifetime ago, we used to sing a song repeatedly. It was around. The guys would start singing it, and the girls would start singing it, and the camp directors would start singing it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul just told us, none of us deserve this. None of us were worthy of this, but God in his goodness, through Jesus, in his righteousness, gave us a relationship. Our hope, God is greater than our sin. Our peace, Jesus Christ is available to bring peace to our souls and all of our relationships and our joy that we have a Father, a Son, and a Spirit given to us that we might be restored to them. We are His joy and He is ours. If you don't have a relationship with God this morning, I wanna offer you the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all willing to become one with you. If you will die to self, and trust them, then we'll find joy. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.